Happy Jacks RPG Podcast, a roundtable discussion that's a mix of friendship, humor, unbridled enthusiasm, and tabletop RPG topics sent in from around the world. Just for Hello, and welcome to Season 33, Episode 2 of the Happy Jacks RPG Podcast. My name is Kimmy. My name is Riley. And I'm Samantha. And on today's episode... Thomas from Denmark wants to hear about festivals and holidays in game worlds. Jeff replies to our comments on his troop-style game. And a new emailer, Tony, asks about random character stats in games. If you'd like to contribute a question or topic to the show, you can email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. Please, please send in emails. Announcements. Our next game days on the Discord is Saturday, January 13th. I think there's already like three or four games posted. People are already signing up. Go run games. It's free. It's fun. People run weird stuff and normal stuff. Like it's a great mix of like traditional and new and strange RPGs. Happyjacks.org slash Discord if you want to go join. Our new mage actual play has started. The first session was yesterday. They did session zero character creation. That will be up on the actual play feed and youtube very soon the first session though will be on december 23rd at 6 p.m and then they'll play saturdays starting after that so adam after they did character creation wanted time to like prep and plan sure so that was the plan season exactly i'm excited to check that out because world darkness is my like my like original rpg system that i used to play in so i always love what wad games it's always so fun i will keep that in mind also speaking of it being the holidays our uh, this year, our Sundays end up exactly on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve. <laughs> so our, not next week, but the two weeks after that, we'll be moving the show to a different night of the week because I cannot convince my husband that I should be recording a podcast on our very young toddlers Christmas Eve and New Year's <laughs> Eve. No one's going to show up for me for that. So we'll be, we'll be moving. We still will be recording episodes those week, but they'll be on a different night if you listen live. So just be aware of that. And I think that's everything. Oh, actually. So there's been a fun development at my workplace, and there is uh, no internet. And will not be internet probably for many weeks. So that really throws a big wrench in everything about being a teacher in 2023. Wow, yeah. But but also uh, my workflow for Happy Jacks, where I post a lot of stuff. I get a lot of little things done during like my lunch break and little breaks in the day. So things might be a little bumpy, and you might have noticed that this week's episode was posted very late because a big chunk of my actual pro- you know, like productive time does not exist anymore because I can't post giant files and stuff through my phone hotspot yeah. and such things. So please bear with me for the next however long. It's probably going to be at least two or three weeks, honestly. Luckily, two weeks until winter break for me. So then I'll be here all the time. So I'll get very caught up on stuff. Yeah. So if things are a little late, please, please be forgiving. And people who do ransomware for public schools, you fucking suck. Ugh. It's terrible. Ugh. Yeah. Awful. No internet. No, like all our devices have to be locked down. All the kids' devices have to be locked down. Wow. There's literally like 600 Chromebooks at my campus alone that are just student Chromebooks that can't be used. Like. That's insane. Nothing. It's. That's evil. Oh, I'm sorry. That, that's just super so cool. Evil. Yeah. yeah. 
the super evil, and we can't pay it. Yeah. Like we legally, even we had the money, which we don't because we're public school. Like we legally can't because all the money is like earmarked and like distributed for certain purposes. Yeah. None of those purposes is ransom. (laughs) Like no. Or blackmail. Why would it be? Yeah. (laughs) Like I know people think like public schools waste funds. There's definitely that argument, but there's not like a blackmail category in the budget every year. So anyway, I'm fine. It's been a great week. Everything's Uh good. So good. Anyway, so yeah, that. So let's move on to our Indie Designer of the Month for December. It is the amazing friend of the show, Kurt Potts. You can find his stuff at Kurt Potts with two T's dot itch dot IO. And he's at Kurt Potts on Twitter and I think other places too. This week, we're going to be talking about his game, Tricksters. So Tricksters is a rules light, cool game he did for for a folklore game jam we did a couple years ago, I actually did Virgins and Dixons for the same game jam. Nice. So Tricksters is about like folklore tricksters. Nice. So you become a trickster charged with protecting a small village. Teach the villagers lessons and chase your worldly desires. Then see what sordid tales these mortars tell of your bizarre interventions. Tricksters is a tabletop role-playing game for two to five players. One player will take on the role of the facilitator, and the other players will embody unique tricksters charged with protecting the village. The village is created collaboratively by answering questions, leaving the look and feel of the game setting up to the group. The tricksters are comprised of their true form, human form, tricks, and desires, all of which make are up to the players. The game mechanics are simple and focused on the two most important things for a trickster, teaching a lesson and fulfilling a desire. When you need to make your roll, you build a pool of six-sided dice based on if you have help, if you're using a trick, and or if you're trying to resist a desire. And right now you can get it at for $2.99 US dollars at kurtpots.itch.io. And again, that's K-U-R-T-P-O-T-T-S dot itch dot I-O. I know this is not what the game is, but because it's Christmas time, I'm imagining like Kevin McAllister setting up traps all over his house <laughs> to protect it. Like, Oh my gosh. <laughs> that would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I feel, I like, feel like you could use it for that. Yeah, yeah. Could, yeah. that's a hundred percent. Like mm-hmm. in the scope of yes, yeah, I I will allow it. Oh, it's not good. that I okay. Do. I want to see because you have more players though, but mm-hmm. I want to see an ensemble game where you have Kevin McAllister, Krampus, Santa from Silent Night. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> we need one more. Hmm. You know what would also be a fun like. Not evil, but like villains RPG is if you're playing where the GM is Kevin McAllister mm-hmm. and then the players are oh, the wet bandits like yeah, or other true. thieves trying to get into the house. That's and so it's fun. like, can you get through this house of horrors yeah. and get to the end of it? <laughs> that would be really fun. It's kind of like the sort of like the witch is dead type game where mm-hmm. you're playing like the creatures that are trying to kill the witch hunter. And yeah. 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 That would be amazing. Oh, I want to so do that fun. game now. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> That's got to be like a. Lasers and feelings hack of some sort. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Like, very, I'm, I'm thinking, it's got to be a my, thing. my name for it that I just thought of uh-huh. would not suggest the game you think it's going to be. Because I'm like, oh, well, there's Sticky Bandits in one game, and then the Wet Bandits in the other. So it'll be Sticky and Wet. And I'm like, I don't think that's the game. I don't think that's the title. Mm, that's not I'll the keep game I'm expecting. It. Yeah. Yeah. I think you probably, probably would name the characters after it's Marv and what's the other one? Somebody's gonna start screaming it into the chat, I'm sure. Yeah, but yeah, 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 that might be the way because like one's the thinker and one's the emotional guy. So yeah. you can make those your two. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Man, so good. Yeah. Well, see, Steffi's in the chat. She says blades in the dark, but I feel like blades in the dark is like way too competent. 
Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like they have skills. Yeah. That's the whole point is like, mm, I feel yeah. like, mm-mm. Marv, and that's going to drive me bonkers. I'm, somewhere in the middle of this episode, I'm just going to just shout. Because I noticed the part where he goes like, he yells his name, goes, I'm coming up. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> Great. First email? Yes. This one is very relevant to me because I just wrote an article about this exact topic for d and Harry Beyond. and Marv. Harry, yeah. Harry, I'm coming up. <laughs> and, then he, and then, spoiler alert, he doesn't because he gets knocked down again. Uh, not like Chumalamba. But yeah, I just wrote an article about this exact topic of this next email for D&D Beyond. If it happens, I don't think it's run yet, but maybe it will have run by the time the, the podcast episode of this drops. So, yeah, Especially with me being so delayed in posting stuff. <laughs> yeah. Chances are very high. So okay, I know that it's through the editing phase, so it might be this week. We'll yeah. see. Okay. Uh, but yeah, this episode, this, this email says, Dear Headmistress Kimmy of the Happy Jacks Academy. Which does have internet. I am currently running a Warhammer fantasy role-playing campaign, and it is bringing something to light that I would love more of, namely how religion, holy days, and festivals can bring a world to life. In our own lives, we have all these traditions and special days. For an American audience, I would use Harvest Festivals, Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas as examples. Here in Denmark, we have the imported Halloween and German Oktoberfest. Skull! But also local traditions such as Morton's Evening, where it is tradition to each dusk, each duck in order to get revenge on the geese that betrayed St. Martin. First of all, that is the best holiday I've ever heard in my life. Are you kidding me? So he couldn't escape from being made bishop. Or so the story goes. That is clearly the actual story. I don't know why you're implying it's a lie. <laughs> the Warhammer <laughs> world is renowned for its lore, and that includes am I John Oliver tonight? What is happening? The Warhammer world is renowned for its I mean the bird law. thing. Yeah. <laughs> Also, just like, it's just hilarious to me. It's like, of course she's in geese. They're the most terrifying things. Yeah. If you're trying to like flee from your duty to God, like that's what he's going to send. What is the... Yeah, geese are terrifying. One of those park organizations that always goes on social media and posts like funny things <laughs> did one that was like, your ancestors hunted the Macedon. You can survive a goose. And I responded, there are no Macedons left. There are lots of geese left. Which one is a survivor? <laughs> Do the math. Yeah. Like that's the that one we couldn't hunt to extinction that's because they are and a chill comparatively. Your, your yeah. article is already up, James says. Oh, nice. That must have happened before I... Oh, two days ago. Yeah, it probably dropped on Friday. And I was very busy with my day job, which has internet. <laughs> well, the Warhammer world is renowned for its lore, and that includes a lot of traditions and holy days. Just the last couple of sessions, these days have played a role in our campaign. There was the time a few sessions ago when the group's dwarf pressed the whole party to march at the double, paying absolutely no heed to the risk of getting damaging fatigue and exhaustion all in order to reach the next town in time for our yearly first quaff day, where the first <laughs> kegs of the beer is tapped. First kegs of the year's beer is tapped. <laughs> Such a day should not be spent in the wilderness. Skull! <laughs> Currently, the group is on a mission to save the world more or less, but, in a ma- but no matter the hurry, they have decided that in the next session we play, they will find the time to stay overnight in some town in order to take in the empire-wide celebration of Sigmar's Day, thus celebrating the em- empire's first emperor, now patron saint slash god, it's both a great party skull, but also a good time to visit the temple and get some blessings and, of course, eat an enormous Sigmar sausage in order to get good fortunes in the coming years. I know this is Warhammer stuff, but so many of these terms make me think you're talking about disenchantment on Netflix, <laughs> which I can talk about now. And yes, they are on a deadline as they have to stop some manic druid from unleashing some untold horror on the world, a ritual that the players will know no will happen on another holy day, the upcoming Geihamstag, when the world's two moons are both full and chaotic magic is flowing into the world. So my question to the hosts, do you include traditions and holy days in your own game worlds in order to make the games feel more alive and real? 
Do you have examples on when you as players have experienced such days in games? Best regards, Spillmeister Thomas from Denmark. P.S. Skull. P.P.S. Best wishes for all, both hosts and listeners, in the coming time of holidays and New Year's. So, spoiler alert, because I just said I wrote an article about this. I will say that, yes, I absolutely do include holidays in my games, and I love doing it. And I think for exactly the reason that you said here, the real world is full of holidays and celebrations. And so for me, I think it is such an immediate, great way to make your world feel lived in and real by being like, oh, these are the things that people are doing like as a standard thing mm-hmm. that like everybody in this world does. So like it makes a culture, it makes a society, it makes traditions, it makes organizations, it makes like ways that like people interpret different things. And there's so much you can do with holidays <laughs> that I love doing it. And I, I try to find excuses to do it. I also like it for the other idea too of like, People in real life celebrate holidays. And so everybody has visceral, like tactile things that they recognize from holidays. So if you can find a way to make like versions of those in your fantasy world, it just helps the players, in my opinion, immerse themselves in the game more because now they have like sense memories of things that they've done that they can like pull from while imagining the world in their heads as you play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. The plus one to everything about that funny we started a little late tonight because my mom was here and she was reading talking about how like we all have sense memories with specific things about holidays she was reading the polar express to my daughter for the first time and it was just one of those things where like there was just this moment and i'm in there and they're like under the christmas tree and my mom is reading it to laurelyn and i'm just like and she and I both just looked at each other and started crying. Like, yeah. So I had to like do the, okay, I have to calm down. I have to be funny and sarcastic in just a minute. Okay. <laughs> where it's just like this strange thing where like these small little like phrases and then just like the end of that story, like click in or like the way a Christmas tree. And so giving and putting things into your game world, even if they're not actual like real existing holidays, I actually love having the characters come up with ones for the world. And a lot of Decima actually adds that into it because I mm-hmm. think it's such an important piece. Like, it gives them these touchstones for their characters' personalities. Like, how would my character feel about this? Oh, okay, my character's entire family was massacred. I probably hate this holiday or it might remind me of something. Or So it gives them all these little things to play off of that they wouldn't have had without those, those days there. Yeah, definitely. I immediately thought of our one ring actual play, both because it has the Yule mechanic built in, mm-hmm. which is really cool, just a way to incorporate a holiday into the system, but also because of our Fire Dwarf Festival. Yes. <laughs> like, I really like when, in that case, we accidentally created a holiday in the world just because of like one something one of our characters was doing and the nature of Gossipy Hobbits. Yeah, we all just started <laughs> making jokes about it and then it became a thing. Was Fire Dwarf a Burning Man parody? It was no. not. Okay, the reason why I asked is in one of my D&D games that I played in, we had Fire Gnome and it was a Burning Man. <laughs> that is and funny. when we, we we planned it like, oh, we're going to go to the, we're going to go to Fire Gnome next week next session. So when we we were when we were in the pandemic and we were still playing over Zoom all the time. Mm-hmm. And so what we all agreed to do was dress up for the Zoom as people going <laughs> to a <laughs> festival. So like I wore like a pink wig and I nice. had like just like a, like a kimono on over a bra, and like that's what I wore for it. And like every and like I put my, my my rainbow glasses. It was so fun. Cover yourselves in dirt and not bathe for a week. Like, yeah, but at yeah. that level of dirt. I actually threw that all really the food in my house away, and then but then I went online afterwards and said it was fine, and anybody who thought it was bad was lying and heard things on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Yeah. yeah, no, no, we say that as like yeah, 
a huge number of people we know love and go to Burning Man. I, yeah. I, I tease it with in good good spirits and with love of air conditioning. <laughs> yeah. I have more power to you if you like doing it. I, I don't actually want to mock your, your joy, but it terrifies me as a person. Yeah. But yeah, no, in our One Room AP, it was Dave's dwarf character. There had been a fire nearby, the Hobbit Village. Mm-hmm. And so he was actually going from house to house warning, hey, it's really dry out. There's actually monsters starting the fire. So, but they, yeah. he, they were trying to give the heads up without starting a panic. Because basically, like, going door-to-door, like, teaching fire safety to the hobbit. Oh, I love that. That's great. <laughs> but, like, already he said that he had he carried candy, like, candy rocks that looked like real rocks because he's a dwarf. Yeah. And he started handing them to some hobbit kids as he was walking through to, like, seem not menacing. Mm-hmm. And then pretty soon, like, the kids start, like, sw- coming by multiple times and he can't tell them apart because he, <laughs> he failed his role. Yeah. So it became this thing where, like, the children, like, Oh, the dwarf who talks about fires gives out candy. <laughs> and like it just built up to like he was had just this massive mob of children following mm-hmm. him to get more candy. So it, it basically became our like Tolkien version of Halloween. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> the they, legend of the fire dwarf comes and gives all the children candy. Yeah, and so it became a thing they do every year now. Yeah. With or without the real dwarf. So funny. Yeah. James Z made a good point in the chat that also a good thing for holidays in the game is it helps you mark time passing in the world, oh, yeah. which is really good, especially if you are a GM who has a calendar for your world that you're tracking. Mm-hmm. Holidays are good to be like, oh, this is coming up. And it helps you decide like, oh, that means the like if it's a harvest festival, that means it's probably going to start getting cold soon because mm-hmm. the weather is changing. That's why we're having a harvest or whatever. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's really great too because it just it gives a a layer to the world and makes the players really contemplate the function of things, like what you were saying, like like the passage of time. Okay, the harvest festival. Okay, so what are we harvesting then? Okay, so souls. Do, yeah, oh, sorry. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, like you know, what do we do? Like, what are their beliefs? Some of them, like in D&D and stuff, there's a whole pantheon that like comes built in. Yeah. But in a lot of systems, that's not there. Like Warhammer has all that too. But in a lot of systems, that's not necessarily prescribed. So then it's like, okay, are we an agnostic civilization? We're just like, hey, the weather changed and now we harvest. Cool, let's eat. <laughs> yeah. Or do we, is there a deity? Do, does that mean we give a sacrifice? Do we what is the purpose of this and like what, how would each of our characters then react to that purpose too? Yeah. It gives so much cultural personality to yeah. like, just like in one wide swath rather than having to like develop the NPC like personalities innumerable <laughs> in the village or whatever. Yeah. You could just kind of like, that kind of like gives a tone. Mm-hmm. And they're really great to twist to dark purposes. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah. They're great opportunities for storytelling because yeah. you can have a holiday thing happening and then something goes wrong and you have to fix it. Or it's also fun to take traditions from the real world holidays and then go, okay, what if this was like, what if this, what if the more like mythological or superstitious elements of those holidays were really happening? And that was a thing. Like, for example, one of the mm-hmm. things I came up with when I was studying, when I was researching for my, my Winter Festival article, and I'll, Rehash it here real quickly so you don't have to read my article to get this. But basically, like but one of the yeah, it's it's very good. But that is it is also very D and D centric. So it was for a D and D site, so it touches a lot on D and D holidays that exist in D and D. But I talked, to, I went in and I researched real games people played during winter festivals, like in medieval times, mm-hmm. and I also picked like traditions, like like evergreens in Saturnalia are where we have Christmas trees nowadays. And similarly, like Yule logs, I guess why we have fireplaces for Christmas is like a burning thing because of 
basically Yule, Christmas absorbing Yule into it mm-hmm. when Christianity spread. But one of the things about Yule is that there was the belief of the wild hunt and the idea that there were gods roaming across the sky, and that's because, because of wild winter storms and aurora borealises and stuff like that. People thought the gods were having these wild hunts across the sky that were chaotic and destructive because it's winter storms. And the idea was that you would have Yule became a celebratory thing because the belief was that if you stayed inside and caused a ruckus with a party that strengthened the pathways that the gods could use to get across the sky and get across more safely. And if you went outside during this time, like if you got caught in a storm, you might get carried miles and miles away and like by the hunt or you might be killed. And all those things can really happen in your game. You can have (laughs) gods in the sky that can wipe people away and, and you can have reasons like we have to be inside celebrating and partying so the gods don't get us. And it's like, if you're gonna put that up there, the gods are gonna get someone and that's gonna be a fun story. Like that's what makes it so funny. You you can just like take a thing about a holiday Mm -hmm. and go, oh, that's actually kind of creepy and dark. Now it's real Mm -hmm. and it's Mm -hmm. so fun. Like like imagine if you had, I used in my article an example of the beginning of the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special where there's aliens who are trying to understand Christmas and they're talking to Peter Quill about it. And there's a song they sing. It's, it's the old 97 who I adore. They have this really funny song, which is these aliens misinterpreting the Christmas. <laughs> it's like, it's like fearsome Santa on a, I don't, I, I'm not doing it justice at all, but it's very <laughs> funny, but it's a good way to go. Oh yeah. If you took the tropes and trappings of a holiday that we know and recognize, and we stripped all the cultural context out of it, and you just presented it as a very basic idea. So the idea of like a man who travels the whole world to determine if you've been good or bad this year, like that can be horrifying. In Sneaking the into hand. your house in the middle of the yeah, night. Yeah. Breaking into your home <laughs> to like, to deliver your judgment. Yes. Like right. that could be, it's so, there's so many things like that, that like, if you go, oh wow, that's, that lent itself so well to a D&D or t- RPG story in general. You know, um, or, or geese being sent to enforce God's will. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, as we yeah. do. <laughs> Terrifying. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And I love, there's so many weird things out there. And the internet is usually pretty good about sending them in your face and social media this time of year. Mm-hmm. Like, I will absolutely say it wrong, but one of my favorite is the take on, there's like, so it's like, there's hobby horses for springtime and people dress up and they have like a fake horse on them. If you've ever been to a Renaissance fair, you probably have seen one. You're like, why are those people wearing fake little horses? And it's like a fertility thing. And the idea is the hobby horse chases you around. If you get touched by the hobby horse, you're probably going to get married or knocked up. So that was like the spring fertility thing. And that's why we always ran when we worked at fair and we, we saw the hobby horse coming. Like, nope, nope, we have this. Yeah. And then... Yeah, I'm going to pull it up because I'm going to say it wrong. If it's it's Welsh, it hasn't... No, oh, yeah. Mary Lude. Mary Lude, yeah. yeah. So this one, if you haven't seen, it's amazing, is a skeleton head hobby horse nice. that comes to your door and sings rhymes at you. Mm-hmm. And your job is to sing rhymes back. And if it catches you off and you can't sing a rhyme back, say, like with the reasons it can't come in, like... Mm-hmm. Um, let me... I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how you did It's like a rap battle, but like... Yes. So Rap like, battle like, the dead horse like so it doesn't yeah, come yeah, in yeah. your house and steal your beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but if you fail, if you can't think of something fast enough to reply to it, you have to let it in and it can and the person who's wearing it can drink all your beer. Nice. Right? Mm-hmm. 
So they can just oh, do no. pre- yeah. So good way to get rid of your old beer though. Yeah, exactly. Oh no, you failed my test. Oh no, no come drink my skunk beer. Oh. <laughs> There's only IPAs left in this fridge, and nobody wants to drink them. So oh no, oh, no. I failed my rule. Yeah, yeah. Unsurprisingly, that is one of my favorite traditions. Yeah. Like a skeleton horse comes to your house and sings to you, and then steals your beer. Great. Yeah, I love yeah, it. It's great. That's like a hundred percent like the Happy Jacks brand, especially with me in charge. Like horse and. <laughs> Beer and somewhat creepy, but also wholesome. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, yeah, that's, I feel like that's our entire brand. Yeah. yeah. One of the ones I loved was that I, when I was looking up, was remembering the Saturnalia with the King of Misdeeds or the King of Miss something. It's like, but there's like a, there's like a tradition in Saturnalia where essentially a slave in ancient Rome would become the king of, I can't remember the word I'm looking at. It's not Misdeeds or something like that, but they basically are the king of the festival and they're yeah. in charge of everything. And the thing is that, depending on which version of the legend you know. King of Misrule, thank yeah. you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Rosie. They get sacrificed at the end of it to Saturn. So imagine if you have a player game and you're at this, this thing and nobody knows that they're like, oh, you're now the King of Misrule. And you get and so this, you can have a, a player character who's like, this is pretty sweet. I'm in charge of everything. <laughs> and then someone's like, okay, now the month is up and we're going to kill you. Yeah, <laughs> well, especially because that's a tradition that carried in into yeah. like European Absolutely. with no sacrifice at the end. Yeah. So most people who have been like, oh, hey, the, yeah, I saw the Hunchback of Notre Dame, like mm-hmm. animated film, or I've been to a Renaissance fair where there was a Misrule, King of Misrule. Or queen. We've had a mistress of misrule and our yeah. ransoms for many times. They're like, I know what this is. And then you're like, oh, by the way, death. Yeah. So. <laughs> there was a sliders episode like that where someone like yeah. won the lottery and they get all oh. they wanted to do. And then at the end of it, it turns out the lottery is population control. And so you win the lottery and you get Oops. like a week where you get everything you want and oh, then wow. they kill you. So, That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's very fun. I, <laughs> I This is a topic that I love. I did. I have run a game. I, I love running one shots around holidays mm-hmm. and then making goofy, weird fantasy world things that are like holidays. So I did a a Black Friday one. I had people come over like like Black Friday or this or the Saturday after Thanksgiving. And I did like essentially a Thanksgiving themed it was like a, it was a harvest festival basically. Mm-hmm. And what I ended up doing was I made like a carnival. And so I, I looked up a bunch of ways to make carnival games happen so that you could like roll dice to determine the carnival game results. But then I also built a dungeon where I just, I found a map online of like a small dungeon that looked like like it might work for like a fun house. Mm-hmm. And then I just, for each room in the dungeon, I created a different like fun house style trap that they mm-hmm. had to solve. And the, the premise was that they had to like go back and find these, ki- these kids that were hiding in the fun house. <laughs> and then when they got outside, they got attacked by turkeys. And somebody <laughs> homebrewed this really awesome turkey monster that's on D&D Beyond's homebrew page. Uh-huh. And it's like the goblor, the lord of the feast, whatever. <laughs> and so I did that. And then for all the other turkeys that were like his minions, I just used Velociraptor stats. <laughs> so I just had all these little Velociraptor turkeys that were going around. And it was so fun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I think another great use for them, and it seems to be a little bit of an issue for your timing in, in your email, but sometimes the players just need a break. And holidays... Even if you're like making them up, like, oh, you get to a village and oh, mm-hmm. they're celebrating a holiday. Like it gives a forced, like we joke a lot on and we do APs where we have like beach day episodes yeah. where it's like just a little bit of a pause to have more like character interaction and just like let the players and the characters breathe a little bit. Holidays give that same opportunity. Yeah. So when they are working against a clock or there's something really pressing and they've just been going and going and going for a lot of a lot of sessions. A forced holiday is like, okay, no, everyone has to participate. Like, if you're going to spend the night here, you have to do this. And yeah, maybe they'll be like, 
no, we're going to go sleep in the woods. And like, okay, that's their choice. Fine. But hopefully they'll take... We are going to have fun. You won't make us. Yeah, hopefully they'll (laughs) yes and your, hey, there's a holiday here. And then like you have that opportunity to to weave in some new things and just kind of hit the pause button on the stress of other things. That's true. Yeah. I mean, like you mentioned earlier, for players, like it's fun to have some like, maybe I don't like celebrating because I lost my family or whatever. It's also fun to go the opposite route and play a character who is super into the holiday (laughs) <laughs> even though it's like not like even they're like normally a very stoic and like tough character, mm-hmm. but when it's like the holiday, they're like, no, I'm here. To, I'm I'm ready to be excited and party and do all the things that I can do. It's it's a fun way as a as a player to kind of cut loose your character a little bit. And another thing that I like doing as a GM is giving my players in game gifts because of holidays. Aww. So I'll think of like fun magic items to give people, or I'll think of like things that like the characters might, or like things that are like a lot of times I pay attention to table jokes. And then I'll take what was a fun table joke and then I'll make it a present in the game. Like I had a, I had a character who always made, always asked people if they had sandwiches. Like, do you have sandwiches? Like they would, every time we'd go to a tavern or like a shop, they would try to buy a sandwich. And so I made them a little baggie of infinite sandwiches that basically worked like Lambus bread, where it's like every day you can eat this thing and it fills you up for the day and you're full and it heals you a little bit. And then every day it's a new sandwich and you just open it up and you have a new sandwich every day. Was like, so that's also a fun thing because... Holidays, a lot of holidays are about giving gifts and about sharing things. And so it can also be a fun way amongst players to have a gift-giving holiday where then you as a character have to think about what your character, or as a player, think about what your character would give other people as gifts. That's true. So it might be very funny if you have one character who just like gives people rocks. And yeah. like, I found this rock. It seemed like you, other people might make like elaborate gifts or whatever. And it can be very funny to have an dichotomy of like the people who are, the characters who are super into the holiday and the characters who are just half-assing it and how they'll, overlap yeah very fun in funny ways like that but also maybe in serious ways yeah especially if you have really religious characters and it's a religious holiday of some sort and then like they can really like have really dramatic interesting character building moments interacting with like the one we keep saying like the one whose family died and like maybe they don't celebrate the holiday anymore and having those two navigate that like their differences of beliefs how they resolve that if they resolve it does it create like ongoing tension for the rest of the campaign or is it something that they have like a really meaningful like talk with each other and even if they don't agree like they can build empathy and things like that so it it can be really amazing both in funny ways yeah and like entertaining like kind of like slapstick or or, like humorous ways but also like really deep because it can be really serious when people when characters really believe and some don't yeah yeah definitely I think with religion, I could probably go on for way too long about religion in game. I know it was asked by the letter writer, but I don't want to like, I have gone off on a lot of tangents in this conversation. This is a very near and dear to my heart thing. <laughs> but I I personally really love using religion in role-playing games in a way that I, I get a little bit touchy about religious stuff in real life. Mm-hmm. And I know some people have a lot of religious like trauma they don't want to bring into their games, and that's totally valid and understandable. I like religious stuff in role-playing games because it's very possible that deities exist in a role-playing game. And so, like, the the Pantheon could be 100% real, and literally every character knows the Pantheon is real, and everybody has had to deal... Like, if you're using a, a setting that's like ancient Greece, it's like, well, there are gods everywhere. Like, yeah. they're always yeah. getting caught up in stuff, and it's actually kind of obnoxious. <laughs> so then it's like, well, do what is like that game's world version of an atheist where it's like, you can't deny that gods exist, but you might have like persnickety reasons for not trusting them or not wanting to believe in Mm -hmm. them or like not wanting to give them your faith. Mm -hmm. Or you could have people who like have 
cantankerous relationship with their own. Like I love playing clerics when I play D and D, and I like playing religious characters in other games. But I always like to think about what my character relationship with their god is. Like, do they love their god? Do they hate their god? Are they only serving their god out of like a sense of obligation that they can't get out of? Like, mm-hmm. is it more of a patron-like pact mm-hmm. type of thing? That's such a fun thing for me. I think it gives you such a gift as a player because it gives you an in-game role-playing thing that you can always, if if you're like stuck on something as a player, like, oh, I don't know what I would do here. You can always go, oh, how does this play into my character's faith? And then you can go, like, it's almost like giving yourself an extra NPC to run lines with when you're in a scene. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Unrelated to that, your comment about giving the players a break kind of made me think of that Using a holiday in game is like a really fun way to change kind of like the tone and nature of the setting, like temporarily, basically. For example, like World of Darkness, vampires can't like reveal themselves to to normal people, basically. Mm -hmm. But if you have Halloween in your game, then they can go out and about as themselves. They don't have to hide. And it can be a really interesting way to like have like monstrous characters interact with more mundane characters with under the cover of a holiday or like say your characters have to do a heist there's a big holiday going on mm-hmm. like a big parade that they can use as cover for their actions like you see that so many times in movies like trick or treat james bond like all and there's all these opportunities to like just change kind of how the setting functions temporarily for them to create something really cool yeah no absolutely and that's great to to give them the option of that cover, especially if they're planning a heist, like give them time to plan the heist and be like, oh, you know, and then like there's this holiday coming up in like two weeks. Or, yeah, so, that way they can like weave it in or not. That's such a great idea. And yeah. I, I love what you were saying about, especially having played as much vampire as we had. Like it was always kind of cool to have these moments where like the vampires kind of could like drop it for a little while and the werewolves and whoever mm-hmm. else was in our games where they could kind of just like walk around like I can and a lot of like the Ventru and stuff like okay they can probably go to the mall and stuff but not the Nosferatu though no definitely not (laughs) like I mean like I can see Scully from our game loving Halloween exactly like he can go and do his comedy routine like at an actual comedy club that night right on stage yeah everyone thinks it's just amazing makeup good good. costume how'd you do that I've never done my secret yeah Yeah. exactly so good so it's it's another whole cool layer of like, I mean, it's a bad joke with Halloween, but like, just kind of like weakening the veil. Exactly. And it can go either way, too. Mm-hmm. Like, if you have mundane characters that exist in a world where maybe they don't know if the supernatural exists, like, that can be an opportunity for them to, like, come and interact with some elements that, like, they didn't know existed. Mm-hmm. And maybe it, like, is questionable because, like, is it somebody in a costume? Is it a real monster? What's happening? Yeah. And especially if they're going out on Halloween thinking, okay, the veil's in tonight. I might see some things. Yeah. Like they might be open to actually noticing things that they normally wouldn't notice that Mm -hmm. then puts the world of darkness in danger, whoever that is. Yeah, exactly. And there's the opposite too. I think what you said was really insightful. The thing about it's a good way to temporarily change the tone of something. If you have a game that's been kind of like silly and off the rails a little bit, it might be a good way to like rein in the game a little bit because you might go like, okay, we've had a lot of goofing off and stuff like that, but we are kind of like getting like sidetracked from the story. Suddenly there's a holiday that's a more somber yeah. affair. Yeah. Or even if you're not going to go that far, if it's not a corrective thing, it might just be like a fun thing to be like, 
this holiday is taken very seriously by the people here. And there are very intricate rituals that have mm-hmm. to be followed for it. And so now we're going to like make you kind of have to try to like do these rituals to to get through to something. And that might be like, okay, we can't be as goofy here because we have to find yeah. a way to solve this thing without like desecrating this holiday. And that can be a fun challenge. Like mm-hmm. it, it's less of a corrective like, okay, you guys have been having too much fun. I'm going to make you have a sad day. It's more like, yeah, here's a, obviously you know how to be crazy pants to solve things. But like, yeah. what if you had to be a little more serious? That could be a fun challenge too. Absolutely. I like Limiting, the idea but... too of like players encountering a holiday that they're unfamiliar with. Like maybe they haven't been to this area before and the place does take it very seriously. And so they're expected to know what to do. And it creates this precarious situation where they need to kind of like fake it till they make it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And whether they do or not, I mean, the dice will say... <laughs> Yeah. But it could be really interesting when it comes out of that. Yeah. Or if the holiday that's celebrated differently in one region than where they're at. And so like they're coming in <laughs> thinking like, yeah, this is going to be it's gonna be Saturnalia. And then it ends up being like some deeply Catholic like Christmas thing. And you're like, oh no, I I'm, I feel guilty all the time now. Let's <laughs> close back on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, especially like you were saying earlier, if it's in a world where deities actually exist, like they could piss, like it's not just about pissing yeah. off the people in the neighborhood. Like you could piss off the deity. Like, maybe the deity, like, sends down, like, something as punishment or, like, a message straight to them, like, hey, stop fucking around on my holiday. This is serious business. Put your clothes back on. (laughs) Send those clocks, send those mice into that clock tower to tell Santa Claus to come back to this town because you told him it wasn't welcome. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So you could have some real fun with that, too, whether it's funny or serious. Yeah. Like, like when when you're in, like, D&D and things, and... There's not really a question about whether these pantheons exist. They they are real. Like, they are real. Yeah, you gotta be real stubborn to exist in some of these worlds and not believe and, that gods exist. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like, it's, yeah, it's like a scientific fact in these places. So it's like, okay, like, you should take these things seriously. Like, even if you think it's a little ridiculous, like, there are major consequences and real power behind all this. Is it not a, a choice of, do I believe in this or not? It's like, how how much do you want to risk pissing off, you know, whoever it is. It's also just a good opportunity as a GM to flex your muscles a little bit and have some fun describing things. Like, just think about the visuals of holidays. You get to think about, like, the way that lights look. You get to think about the garments people wear for Mm -hmm. them. You get to think about the way they decorate the town for it. You can think about what rituals... Like, I always think about things like... It's such a wild example, but in, in the Disney... Tangled movie, the <laughs> gorgeous visual of being on the boat when all the lanterns come yeah. up in the air. And I feel like if I was at a table and a GM started describing something, I would get goosebumps. I'd be so excited about yeah. it. So yeah. that's the kind of thing you could have a lot of fun with. It's a good time to show off because you get to spend a little time preparing and thinking about like, oh, this is going to be really good, fun to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And tying in things that they've done already or people they've already met mm-hmm. and things like that is such a great way to kind of like bring elements back in that are already meaningful. Yeah. So sometimes it's like, it doesn't just have to be backstory. Oh, my family died. I feel bad about this holiday. Yeah. Or I had great memories or we're learning about something new. It's like, hey, maybe it's something they are familiar with, but like someone they saved earlier shows up and they're like, hey, and they like get to spend time with somebody they did something amazing for. Or if it's a like a holiday of like giving thanks, maybe some people that they helped show up to thank them. Yeah. Things like yeah. that can be really emotionally powerful, even if it's not super somber or serious, and really just make the the players and characters feel good and like they've done great things, even if they aren't done yet. Something that could be really interesting 
I saw that it's probably okay is lurking in our chat, which reminded me that demigods would be just like literally the perfect example oh for gosh. this because you, you know, the player characters are the children of <laughs> gods. Yeah. Basically. So these deities definitely exist. And what if as a player character, you encounter the <laughs> holiday that honors your parent? Like, how do you interact with that? Like, do yeah. you have a good relationship with them? God, so good. Or is it adversarial? Like, yeah, exactly. Just go around like knocking over Just Yule totally Tree. Like, no. I know it's called a Christmas tree now, but it doesn't count. <laughs> I still hate you, dad. <laughs> and then like your parent could sh- literally show up. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. What the heck? Yeah. yeah, so much drama. Not to put you on the spot if you don't think you know, but it's probably okay. Did ask in chat if you know what your characters in the One Ring game would give as gifts if there was a holiday. Oh, I do know <laughs> <laughs> what Runa would give people. She would give people an IOU <laughs> for one free ass kicking of any one of your enemies. <laughs> I was thinking like the knife she had just in her back pocket. Like, oh yeah, the special for you. <laughs> Wait. Why is there blood on it already? I wanted to make sure it was sharp for you. I had to test it, obviously. Yeah, sure it works. Hello. I decorated it. <laughs> yes, oh. either either an IOU <laughs> to kick someone's ass for you or literally the first thing she could find. Yeah. <laughs> Mostly weapons, I feel like. Yeah. I feel like she's very weapon-oriented. She's with definitely that person that, like, you go into the place where you have to take off all your weapons and she's there for, like, 20 <laughs> minutes just, like, pulling out knives. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh. But she puts them all back. She kind of, like, leans to feel the weight. Not missing one. No, I don't. I don't know which one. Mm-mm. Look back through it. With, with <laughs> I love it. Oh, I miss that games. We had a lot of fun. <laughs> so good. Okay. Very good. All right. Next email. Yeah, I, I can go on this topic all night. So I'm happy it's such on. a good. It's topic. such a good it one. Is. It's one of my favorite. It's like it's wild because last time I was on, we talked about world building, and I think we even talked about holidays mm-hmm. with that. And I, I think that it's just what, holidays are such a gift to a person crafting a fantasy world to mm-hmm. flesh out your world. So yeah. it's just, it's definitely a great thing to do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, just thought of something. Sorry. I'm going to continue because that's what are, what are we, but yes, anting. So Stephanie in the chat just said, mentioned like Mother's Day. <laughs> As a GM, it's really cool. It, like, it's a, like speaking again of the players, like my whole family died because I guess that's what that player sounds like. Like, Crafting holidays to like target things and backstory. Ooh, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. To like cause drama. So fun. Yeah. Like use that tool wisely or so good. Yeah. With wild abandon, whichever works. Because mm-hmm. and, and it doesn't have to necessarily be drama. Oh yeah. But it's like, oh, you know, they're having a big fight with their brother. Oh, today's National Siblings Day in, <laughs> you know, Neverwinter. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it's great. National Siblings Day and forgive, and forgive your brotherton. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Stuff yeah. like that to like just bring that up or mm-hmm. something like that. Or there's just so many interesting things. Like, okay, today is National Peace Day. Nobody around here can, if you draw a weapon, it's considered a violation of law. I'm out. Yeah. yeah. We did <laughs> in my Doctor Who game that I GM. We had a thing that happened at the end of my run as the doctor where I tried to defeat the master by not fighting him because I thought it would be an interesting twist. Mm. But then what the master did was declare that he was the doctor, which Chris Chibnall stole. No, it was a thing that happened <laughs> wildly. It had almost the exact same thing happened on Doctor Who, yeah. which was that the master declared that they were, they, they were the doctor and they were retiring and they were no longer protecting the universe. And I was like, and then I took over as GM and that was like the last thing that had happened in my last episode as a doctor. So when I was running as a GM, I was like, 
that's a pretty big thing that happened. And it's a consequence of a thing that I did. And I don't want that thing to be forgotten. Because like, mm-hmm. well, you made a really good... I, I made a choice as a character that ended up having a consequence. Mm-hmm. And I easily, as GM, could have wiped it away and never mentioned it again. But I was like, well, that's that's not fun. So then when I was GMing and we had a new character playing a doctor, I had started building in this idea that the universe now associated the word doctor with coward. And oh, so I kept oh, having wow. times where he would introduce himself to people and say, I'm the doctor. And people would laugh and go, oh, don't be so hard on yourself. And I didn't explain to him at first what was happening. Oh. And when I finally revealed it was we went to a planet that celebrated a day called Retirement Day. And that was the day they had gotten the signal that came from Earth that this being known as a doctor was no longer protecting the universe. And the reason why they celebrate the holiday is every year they make it to the next retirement day is a year they've survived without help. And so they're like, oh, that's, wow. that's the year that we learned we can't count on anybody else and we have to account for ourselves. And so it's like this holiday of like, we survived one more year and we're not dead yet. So, oh, and so wow. it was such a fun thing to then see this player have to like process that this holiday was specifically meant that he, that his character, which was unfairly me that did it at the time, but people believe that his character had abandoned the universe. And it was such a fun move to do. And it was so fun to like reveal it to him. And like the way that I did it was like, they played the clip and we played the, we played the audio on the podcast of Uh the player who had played the master giving his speech of like, I am retired. I'm no longer helping you. The universe is no longer protected. And that was like, that was like this moment. It was so fun. It was such <laughs> a good payoff so of a long good. setup. Yeah. yeah. That's wow. Cool. And like, like the, oh, we're celebrating this day where we learned we can't count on everyone. It's just <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Yeah. So good. Damn. Yeah. Because I had tried when I played as a player, I was like, oh, I did a thing that stopped that signal from going out. So no one on earth heard it. But then mm. I was like, oh, but what if? Like, no one cool. thought to stop the radio signals that were going out into space. And so yeah. other planets were getting yeah. it. And that's why the universe was calling Dr. Coward, but people on Earth may not be. It was very, it was very interesting. Fun. So yeah. good. Yeah. And it was kind of a twist on the fact that in, in Moffat's era, there's like an idea that like there's one planet who thinks the word doctor means warrior because that's the only time that they've, they've heard the doctor in their history as this mm-hmm. warrior came to the planet and saved yeah. it. And like, there's also one of Moffat's things as well from before he was even writing the show was like, what if the word doctor in our culture exists because of the doctor coming to our world when like cultures were new and thinking the doctor is this person that comes and saves and helps people. And so doctor became a term. And so I was like, I was like, oh, I'm going to flip that and make it a negative thing. Doctor is coward. Doctor (laughs) is a person who runs away. He doesn't help anybody. That's amazing. Yeah. That is so good. Okay, um, but we should end there because yeah. I'm not going to have a better story than that one. Well, it, it, I wouldn't have thought of it at all until you said a thing about drawing from character things. I'm like, yeah. oh, I did that. I did that. I, did that. <laughs> I ruined someone's day with that. <laughs> all right. Great topic. Thank you so much for, for writing that in. And uh, yeah. And now we're out of time. <laughs> Hardly. Hardly, friends. All right, mailbag number two. Hi, happy jackers. Thank you for your kind words in response to my first email from episode nine, season 32, about my... Troop style GURPS game. I've joined the Discord, username geek underscore the underscore GM. And anyone around is welcome to DM or tag me if they want to chat or hear more about the homebrew rules I have created for this game. I'm also definitely going to check out your GURPS APs. Thank you for the recommendation. Since you all express surprise that this troop style game works, allow me to explain why I think it does. 
and some of the things we've done to make it work better. I'll do my best to keep it concise. Spoiler alert, it's not. But I do have a question at the end. I appreciate your spoiler. We've been playing weekly since 2017 when I was in grad school. When the pandemic hit, we went online and it's been online ever since. I and another member of the group rotate GMing and we usually play a new system. We've played PBTA and OSR games along with Shadow of the Demon Lord and GURPS. So the group is used to trying out new things, which helped with introducing this idea of a troop style game, which I pitched to the group. Also, this GURPS game is in fact the fourth campaign I've run with this group in my homebrew setting. I mentioned the characters, a mercenary company fighting in a war. Well, so just so to recap, I thought he might like mention like how it works. So they have like each set characters. I think if I'm remembering correctly. I think I was on this episode. I think you were too, because I picked it because I was like, I think Riley was there yeah. with me. So maybe she'll remember. It's been a while. <laughs> yeah. But like, while. yeah, but they have like set characters and people like who aren't there, they just aren't there for that specific session. But then if I remember correctly, they come back and sometimes play, like they swap characters. Yeah, they'll play other people's oh, characters. Okay. Like like if, if someone's not there, like just this is who you're playing tonight. Yeah. yeah. Like there's like... A, it's it, interesting. Like soap opera style, like the role of this person will be played by... Yeah. <laughs> so they figure out which of the characters they need to be successful that session. Oh. And people come in and play those characters, even if they were a different character before. That's kind of fun. Yeah. yeah, and we were super blown away. And like, it's an amazing concept, but the fact that it's actually functioning yeah. blew us, blew our minds. Like, we were just like... I get it. Because it's like hard not to be precious about your character. Yeah. And just like to get people to show up for, to play a character that they don't necessarily know which one they're going to be. Mm-hmm. And like... I've done that a lot in like one-offs. Yeah. But yeah, like not yeah. in a campaign. Yeah, so it's interesting. And then like you all, you everyone has to kind of track what every character is doing and feeling and like in some ways. It's yeah. very interesting. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Troop Style, I pitched the group, blah, 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 mercenary company fighting in a war. Yeah, sorry. I mentioned the characters are a mercenary company fighting in a war. Well, they're fighting on behalf of a country the players themselves created two campaigns ago. And this war actually started last campaign where it was thrust upon the country the players created. So while playing new PCs in this style of game, the players are still deeply invested in the narrative, defending this country, defeating the evil Inquisition, and the enemy they've been fighting for four campaigns. Okay, that helps explain it a little bit. Yeah, so they're at least familiar with like the world and the NPC characters. So even if they're like changing their which character they're playing, there's a lot of known variables. And investment in like the yeah. overall story. Like we want to defeat this, and it's not about... <laughs> being invested in my character. It's about being invested in the overarching story. It almost gets a little bit into the style of play that you get with games like The Quiet Year. You're not really playing... I mean, you are playing as characters in this example, but in Quiet Year, you're not really playing as the characters. You're playing as, like, Mm -hmm. the overview of the entire culture. But you might decide, like, oh, during this this round of mine, Mm -hmm. this leader did this thing, or Mm -hmm. this thing happened, and that, like, moves the story forward. It's almost like you're doing that, but you're taking the extra step of like stepping into that character's brain for this part of the story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's very cool. And Companion's Tale, there's a game called The Companion's Tale that, that is similar to that too, where you create the world and then you take like the, you're all people who are with a specific companion and like you are, you are the companions to, to like a hero and you kind of tell the story together. It's very interesting for four campaigns. And to one question you all asked, yes, we do track characters' decisions made by each player. 
I have a custom groups character sheet made in Google Sheets, and there's a tab on each sheet for noting character-defining decisions made in-game or important emergent backstory details. And next to the column for these notes, there's a column indicating which player made that decision. This has led to many cool RP moments where player A will ask player B their motivation for a past decision they made while playing a character that player A is now playing, which player A will then integrate in the into the in-game decision they made. That's kind of cool. Yeah, that is now yeah. that I now that I've processed it and, and yeah, followed like the, the path. A and the yeah. B and the yeah, yeah. It's like, hey Mark, why did you do this thing last time? Mark's like, oh, I did it because this happened. And I'm like, cool. Now I know that's like a thing. So yeah. like it's like I would think of an example of something we talked about already tonight, and I can't think mm-hmm. of it off the top of my head. It's like, why did you cause a holiday in this town? Oh, because I was trying to warn them about the fire. And it's like, and I the best way I could think to do it was to give the kids candy. Yeah. And so then it's like, cool. My character is someone who knows to like this bribe someone with treats to get things <laughs> yeah. that I want. Yeah. So like it's like help them. It's like now now I know moving forward. That's like a go-to for me. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. So the mercenary company is also something the players created and invest time and in-game resources into. The company has a villa where the PCs rest and conduct their downtime activities, which can include growing and improving the villa. So in addition to player investment in the characters and their emergent development in-game, the players are also invested in the mercenary company and making decisions collectively about it. For example, whenever there's an opportunity for promotion and rank amongst the company, typically through PC death or exceptional heroics, the players collectively decide which PC in the party gets promoted into the next rank in the company. Sorry, this is so long. But I do want to give credit to the two games that inspired so much of this homebrew. Band of Blades, a Forge in the Dark game published by Evil Hat, and Rencalonia, a spaghetti fantasy 5e supplement published by the game company Acheron, I think. Asheron. Asheron. Okay, cool. Thanks. Okay, on to my question. (laughs) (laughs) There is a question. Thank you for explaining all that, though, because that, I think, clarified a lot of the amazing disbelief. I also just, like, you've got an amazing group to be able to have that level of showing up, doing research to play each character, tracking on like it's just that's amazing. It's a really cool magical. The decision tracking sheet is very good. It's yeah. like having that reference sheet, like yeah. when you're playing a character that isn't maybe isn't yours or you haven't played very much, mm-hmm. like having that to refer to sounds really useful. So good. It says a lot about that gaming group that for them the appeal of the game is just being together and playing as opposed to specifically making it about the, it's it's a very unselfish way of playing and yeah. i i know that i would probably struggle with it i'd probably be like Ooh, like i feel a sense of ownership over this certain character and it really bugs me people do things with it that i don't like mm-hmm. but i think that there is something really freeing of the idea of letting go of that sense of control and letting it be because i do tend to be someone who when something happens to my character out of my control i do tend to try to like back that into my role play moving forward yeah to the point where it has frustrated some gms because they're like well like someone's like oh i'm like i've had a gm be like I'm going to give you a stat in this, like someone was like, at one point a GM was like, while setting up a game was like, hey, I'm going to have your character be like a true crime junkie so that we can like kind of get into the story. And I was like, well, I have to do a lot of like, what does that mean for my character? Like, what does it mean for the, yeah. yeah." So that's that's not a surface level ad. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I was like, wait, what does that mean about her? Like, what what do I, yeah. Mm -hmm. I have to add this into her now. Yeah, Yeah. 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 No, that makes perfect sense. Okay. On to my question, which is related to this campaign. It's just not the troop style structure of it. Do you know any good GM-focused resources I can read slash purchase related to the representation and role-playing of non-European cultures in TTRPGs? 
My homebrew game is themed Mediterranean, so I have intentionally made it culturally diverse. Recently, the PCs have gotten involved in the politics of a neighboring country that's themed Middle Eastern. One PC is actually from there. Most of the resources I found on representation are either for a capital W slash world builders, e.g. novelists or game designers, or for players. But I found a few resources for GMs who typically are going for a breadth over depth in their depictions of societies and who often have to make details up on the fly. I'm quite familiar with the idea of Orientalism, the stereotypic, exoticized, and homogenous way all Asian cultures are portrayed by Europeans. And I've also tried to be conscious of avoiding these pitfalls in my depictions of this culture in my game, most notably by making sure to depict Middle Eastern-themed nation as internally diverse and one of several non-European-themed nations in the area, rather than just having a single typecast, quote, Middle Eastern nation in my game. I suspect all of you at Happy Jacks might have some resources that you can point to to help GMs approach these questions of a respectful of respectful representation. Apologies in advance if for this novel of an email, Jeff, geek underscore the underscore GM on the Discord. Awesome. Yeah, so first off, I would go and look on DriveThruRPG and itch.io for settings, like written by people from those cultures. Because a lot of times you can buy little supplements that are just a few pages long that are like, here's a city that is like this. And it's written by someone from that culture, from that point of view, even if it's fantasy, it's, mm-hmm. it, you know, it's really rooted in people who, who know that culture and it's done in a respectful way. Yeah. There's a lot of them out there. Make sure you're double checking <laughs> that it's actually written by somebody who's part of that culture so that it's done like well. But that would be my number one thing. There's a ton of small creators out there who are doing stuff like that that are really interesting. And on itch.io, there's tons of games actually that are written that you could, even if you're not using the game system with it, you could buy them for like two bucks or five bucks or whatever it is and have this rich, interesting world that you can draw from in a respectful way because it's been written that way and then like weave that into your game. Yeah, I would, I look at make the acronym, make sure I knew the correct acronym. One thing you might want to try doing too while looking for things is to jettison the term Middle East from your searches because that is kind of quickly becoming not unlike the word Oriental, you know, Orientalism. Mm-hmm. It's becoming kind of a term non grata for that kind of thing. And I think a lot of the people who are going to be writing things that are going to be good resources for that are going to be using the more current term, which the one I looked up that I, I'm most familiar with is, is Swana, which is like Southwestern Asia, Northern mm-hmm. Africa. Because Middle East is definitely like a very European-centric term. Mm-hmm. And so it's kind of like giving the actual region its own identity from where it's located versus where it's located in reference to other parts of the world. And I'm not saying that to like criticize you or judge you. I'm saying it like the people who have created the resources that you're looking for are probably going to be using that term mm-hmm. more and more. And you're probably going to find a lot more helpful information that way. Yeah, and... Yeah. As with all things, it's kind of slow to catch on. I mean, yeah. the people who are marginalized are not being listened to like they should be. So terms like that are are slow to catch on to the wider community. Yeah. So yeah, so things like that will really actually, if you're doing searches and that really yeah. pull you in super quick. I came across that information basically based on the fact that when Critical Role was starting its third season, they were setting it in a continent in the world of Alexandria where Critical Role is set that is heavily inspired by Swana culture. And there was like a big thing about like, are you working with 
cultural sensitivity people to make sure that you're not digging into Orientalism with this part of the world. And there was some bristling and there was some saber rattling, or not saber rattling. Um, there were some mistakes made, and there, there have been a lot helmets? of yeah. There were some. There were some <laughs> pretty big mistakes made. Not not as much purely in story, but there was some bad actors who are not involved in the show anymore. Mm-hmm. That's all I should probably say. <laughs> who got a little sensitive about some stuff, and there were a lot of people who rightfully were upset about it. And so yeah. that's the kind of thing. Like I know that, like for example, I know that Matt Mercer has been very like transparent about like here's the people that I've worked with and talked to about these kind of mm-hmm. things. And also when he was writing the D&D source book called Neverdeep, which is also set in this part of the world. Like, so that's how that term kind of hit my consciousness. Yeah. Like people being like, hey, if you're going to use Swana stuff for your games, here's you should be listening to the Swana voices for it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. I also want to represent, or I want to recommend the Asians Represent podcast. Really great, informative podcast that focuses on Orientalism in RPGs and like how to dismantle it coming up with stuff themselves, super great, really knowledgeable. That's just, I love it. It's a great, very informative, really well done podcast. Like whenever people are like starting to ask me questions like, well, what about L5R? Like you used to play that system. Yeah, I did. And I played that system a lot and I loved it. And I've learned since then. (laughs) Like they have some really great episodes on L5R and stuff like that. And playing games in general in settings in different parts of Asia, Swan, all those things. So definitely, like, check them out. Like, really fantastic. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And I think, like, even just engaging with literature from that part of the world, as opposed to European or Americanized versions of that literature, I think that's also a good way to get real folklore and, like, cultural things that aren't, again, white people exoticizing them and making them sound... And so they... <laughs> That's not unlike what I was saying earlier about holidays. Like, I was able to draw a lot of things from Nordic traditions that are not my traditions, but that I'm aware of because I research them. I think that, like, being able to do that as opposed to just be very careful of your sources and make sure you're getting actual, like, first person, like, native resources as opposed to indigenous resources as opposed to, like, Americanized or Europeanized versions of those things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the first thing you should do, honestly, when you're looking at any resource, Look at the person's name and look at who they are who are writing it. I mean, you can't always judge by based on the name, but usually it's a kind of a good first step, a good yeah. first indicator. Well, the name can at least give you a, a trail to look up their yeah. credentials yeah, exactly. and where from. Yeah, and, and what they are. And if if they look like me, maybe don't use that as a resource. Yeah. yeah. Or even more if they if they look like Samantha. Yeah. So you're super Nordic looking. <laughs> Nothing I can do about it. Yeah. I mean, it's stunning and fantastic. I love everything about it. But if people who are of your pallor are writing yeah. things about... I'm not the writer you want for no, this information, no, no, no. for yeah, sure. Definitely not. So, yeah. The, so that would be my first suggestion is if you are finding a resource and you think, hey, this looks legitimate, like really do research on the person who's writing it yeah. and stuff like that. So. I really like the suggestion to go to like literature from that culture as well, because I think like looking at arts from mm-hmm. a culture gives you so much to work with as far as like personality and tradition and like tone. And those are kind of a lot of the things that you're going to use in the world building. Yeah. So I think, yeah, looking at the arts from any particular culture is a good way to kind of like, yeah, get an authentic feel. It tells you a lot about the sense of morality and how morality plays out in, especially in like non 
mundane stories mm-hmm. like like mm-hmm. A, a lot of folklore in around the world is based on like what the cultural norms and mores were at the time when it was written or created and so like usually it's like a fable or a lesson of some sort exactly. so it's a good way to like learn like this is what people feel about and things like that mm-hmm. someone says if you want information about eldritch beings you're a person to go to yes yes definitely but which is why the folklore aspect is my jam. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. if you want to know about Gallifrey and other things around the universe, you can talk to me because yeah. I'm a time lord. Yeah. So, yes. ask me your monster questions; mm-hmm. I will answer them. Yeah. Horses. That's ask me about having two hearts. <laughs> Don't need as much salt. That's a good. Yeah, yeah. That's a good Actually, it's good if you have one heart too. Be yeah, careful with your salt yeah, intake. Salt I'm learning very badly, unfortunately. Yeah. Or do you have to eat a little more salt because you've got two hearts? And I don't know. I don't think you have to eat more salt is a very common thing. No. For, there are people. There are, my brother is one of them has like yeah. problem with sodium. Uh, I'm hypermobile, so mm-hmm. I need yeah. more salt. Otherwise, I feel really faint when I stand up. Yeah. Mm, yes. My brother has to. He can't really drink. He has a, a metal condition where he can't really drink just like straight water anymore because it desalinizes him. Oh. He has like he often just drinks like pickle juice because he needs the, the sodium. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and if you're a, a trans girl who's recently started uh, HRT and you're on you're <laughs> on uh, spironolactone, you probably have to add a lot more salt because your body is depleting it yeah. constantly. I don't miss those days. Okay, I must be dehydrated because pickle juice sounds really good right now. It is good. You said pickle it. juice is delicious. Yeah, I'm it's not good gonna lie. Like your joints and stuff. Too. Yeah, it's usually the, like only like when I'm doing like Ren Fair though. That's like the, the like peak Ren Fair, like middle of the day. Like oh, pickle juice. Like the rest of the time, I'm like eh. Wasteland. Wasteland. Yeah. Those, those pickle, pickle vendors at at a oh, Ren yeah. Fair, they're geniuses. So they know what they're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's electrolytes. It's, got, it's what plants crave. <laughs> exactly. yeah. Dave actually, Dave is like a pickle connoisseur. Like he makes amazing like pickles every year for fair. My roommate makes really good pickles. So good. Too. Yeah. It's like a thing in like Ren Fair slash Burning Man slash Wasteland slash yeah. tippy slash smart. everything culture. Yeah. A culture where yeah. people are out in the sun all, all day the time. sweating. I yeah, wonder why that's a popular to thing. Yeah. yeah. And they just have like these amazing recipes and like it's so. I would go to town on some pickles right now. Like, this is my fault for bringing it up. But right now, all I can think about how, how delicious a pickle would be. Yeah. Right 100%. <laughs> Amazing. All right. Samantha, my mailbag turn. number three. Mailbag number three. Hello, Happy Jack's crew. As this is my first email to you, I'm going to keep it short, sweet, and more than a little sexy. Welcome. Thank you for writing emails. We appreciate you so much. Yes. <laughs> what are the gang's thoughts on the concept of random statistics in RPG characters? Mm-hmm. I know a majority of game systems don't have it and instead use an array of stats or a point, point by system. D&D has those as well, but also includes the option to roll in order to generate a wider variety of stats for players. On the one hand, it can be frustrating for a new player to have a bit of a handicap in base stats, or the other end where someone rolled Thor surrounded by the MCU's defenders. After over 20 years of running games, I have actually started to prefer the random rolls whenever I play D&D, 13th Age, Level Up, or Pathfinder, just to see how players handle it. But what are your thoughts, Tony? I actually really enjoy random statistics and random, I don't know, aspects in general in games. In our Blade Runner game, so a lot of the kind of backstory elements ended up randomized. And we also randomized whether two of our players were replicants or humans. They didn't want to oh, know. Oh, that's fun. I love that. Yeah, so, so they much. found out like partway through that's our like campaign. That's like the Battlestar board game. Which is really fun. Yeah. And my character ended up with a giant dog companion. What? What? Totally randomly. No. Yes. I got bricked by random ch- dice roll. 
You used your Eldritch powers to make the dice give you a Maybe puppers. a little bit of witchcraft. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, total, totally random. I'm Emotional so behind on that one. Giant dog. Yeah. Oh, Thanks, dice. Like so yeah, awesome. I think it's really fun because sometimes things like come up that are like just you wouldn't have thought of or that just like totally go with your character that are seem out of left field. And then the other thing I thought of was, oh God, I don't remember the system. The space game that I played with Stu ages ago where my character was Traveler. a xenobiologist. Traveler, yeah. yes. We were playing Traveler. And since my character was a xenobiologist, I made a random animal chart, basically. So it was like, a different word descriptor for like five different columns. And then the end one was an animal. So you could roll dice, you could roll five dice, and then you would combine whichever word was in that number in the column together to create what the new animal was. So we ended oh. up with things like a Jupiterian sparkle goat. <laughs> or like... <laughs> oh, no, no, no. That was... His moment of truth moment system. Moment of truth system, yeah. Yeah, like he, yeah. Was, he was like making a system that I didn't, he never finished it. But like, yeah, it was like, oh, that's right. He was so excited because I was like, I brought you this random animal generator. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> so, so every time we would come upon like a new creature, mm -hmm. I would get to roll and then the dice would determine what that thing was. That was so fun. I forgot about the Jupiterian sparkle goat. Mm -hmm. They were carnivorous. <laughs> they were so good. They were so good. Oh, man. Oh, I have to, I have to, yeah. I wonder if that... It was that, ridiculous. Yeah, does that chart exist anywhere? It's probably in my Dropbox somewhere. I'll have to look it up. You have to look. Maybe we could give that to, like, all our wonderful audience members as, like, a gift for the holidays. Yeah, definitely. Happy Yule. Please. Have a Jupiterian have, sparkle goat that will eat you. Have these dumb animal options. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Very cool. I, yeah, I love this. I know you had a bunch of stuff you wanted to say about Yeah, but it. I've talked a lot tonight, so I'm happy to let you go first <laughs> and then I'll come back to me. Yeah, I, I love doing this and I don't want to like steal what you were about to say, but like Riley, before we started, we were talking about it and you said that, oh, you have to do it first though. I don't have to, but I like to do it yeah, first. Yeah, I, I agree. Like it's such, if I'm going to play a system like this, like Traveler's a good, like we brought it up by accident, but it's a good, there's a whole like pre-game where you get to create your character and it's all random. I love that so much. I like, it's so much fun. I could just do that and not play the rest of Traveler. I love the rest of Traveler too, <laughs> but it's so much fun just to be like, okay, what am I going to be? How old am I going to be? Oh, I'm going to stay in a little, oh no, I'm really old now. Okay. And it's so much fun to do that, but you have to go into the random piece of it. However, you're doing it, whether it's Traveler or stats or anything like before you have a character concept. That's how I feel about yes, it. Yes, yeah, and exactly. well, I, I stole that. I mean, you said it first yeah. earlier, and I think that's a really important thing to like start the conversation with because it sucks if you go into a game and you're like, oh, I, I know what I'm going to be. I'm going to do this. And they're like, okay, random stat. Okay, I'm going to be the best fighter ever. Constitution 2. <laughs> cool. Yeah. yeah. I got I mean, that right, right? Was yeah. that the D&D? &D, that was correct? Like, yeah. You, okay. Well, Constitution would be like, yeah, because you would have really low hit points yeah. and that would be really tough. Oh, yeah. oh no! Yeah. You'd be good at fighting, not good at getting hit, though. Not yeah. <laughs> You're good at fighting until you got hit once. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone has to cast Sanctuary on you all the time. Yeah. Some child yeah. comes and kicks me in the shin and I'm down. Yeah. yeah. And there are ways of mitigating that. Like, you can do all the rolls and then you just have, like, these are the stats and then you can decide where to plug them yeah. in. I think old school, like, hardline D&D, &D, like, original concept. Yeah. It wasn't like that. Like, it was no. like, you know, the stat, you roll for your strength, you roll for your dex. Yeah. Roll. But, like, the way that I first did it was definitely a, just 
roll your six stats, and then you decide which one's going which spot. Plug them in, yeah. Which can be that is a way to do it, in my opinion. If you are playing a specific type of character you've already thought of, like I had it for, yeah, I did it for my very first five E game, and I played a sorcerer, and I rolled a nineteen, or I rolled an eighteen plus. I already had my racial bonus or whatever, whatever, mm-hmm. whatever it was. It might have been I rolled a 17. I think, I think there's like a cutoff. You can't go too high. But I had a plus two because I was a half elf. So I started the game with 19 in charisma. So I started the game at level one as a very powerful spellcaster. <laughs> and I, I did back that into my, my character. Like I, I, not only did I like that, for random, speaking of randomization, I was playing a wild magic sorcerer. Uh-huh. And so the way that I, that did inform how I built the character where I was just like, Fine, she is this really powerful sorcerer who cannot control her own magic. Yeah. And that became like, so then that informed the backstory. It's like, oh, this is why she's adventuring because she got really attracted to a girl in her town and she blew up a barn. Like it was all that kind of stuff. And it became, and it became like, okay, well, what is, why is her, why can't she control her powers? It's mm-hmm. like, oh, she's a sorcerer. Everybody else in her town, like she was raised by, she's a half elf. She's right by the, the elven side, and they're all wizards. They all have like formal magic training, and they're trying to help her to control her power. But her power is so ma- like chaotic and natural, she can't control it. So that's like they're like you need to leave. You need to go mm-hmm. out in the world to explore your town. It's like that kind of thing. And so like if you have an idea for a character vaguely, and then you roll the stats, and I can plug them in where you want to plug them in, mm-hmm. then you can make decisions about who your character is going to be based on that. But yeah. If you do it where you're just going to roll randomly and you don't get to decide where the stats go, I think it's better to go blank slate, yeah. roll the dice, look at your your numbers and go, okay, yeah, like I rolled a really high strength roll, so mm-hmm. this person's going to be like a tough character, but I rolled a really bad like dexterity roll. Maybe this person's really good at like blunt force, but not good at like sleight of hand and quick fighting. Like they're so this is going to be someone who's like more of like a, a brawler as opposed to a like dasher or like a, a, a like instead of being like a fencer, you're going to be like a longsword user and that kind of stuff. And like, then you can next step if you, it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you- oh, I was just going to say, I also think it's really important to give your players the option to veto. <laughs> yes. If you're going to play randomly that way, because like, say you do have a vague idea of what you want to play and the dice are like the complete opposite of that. It just, it's nice to be able to just go like, this makes zero sense for what I want to do in this game. Can I try again, please? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think I, that that underlines my thought about the random, my, my thoughts on random roles is that there has to be 100% buy-in from all the players. Yeah. And that's why like in this this comment, it was like, it's, it can be tough for new players. I don't think it's a great thing to do for new players to a system unless the system relies on that randomization as part of the system. Yeah. So like, for example, the D&D standard array, I think the standard array in D&D is the best way to do brand new players so they can understand, they can figure... D&D, especially as a system, is one where it feels so daunting if you've never played it. Mm -hmm. And then, like, after you've played, like, a few sessions, something just clicks and then you get it. And so, as a DM in D&D especially, I usually, at level three, go, okay, this is your chance to re-roll your characters and start from scratch (laughs) with what you want. Like, basically, you've been playing these characters for a little while now. You know how you're doing things. You know what you're doing with them. Now you have a chance to fix them. And I do that with other games too. But I think that I think that not making it random completely for brand new players is a good way of like teaching them. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, 100% I think it has to be a buy-in. I think it has to be like yeah. everybody wants to play this as random and wild and we'll see where it goes mm-hmm. versus like one person is like 
I'm not able to play the way I want to play because I rolled the dice just randomly and now I can't enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not fun for anybody at that point. Yeah, I, do, I agree. I think it's probably more fun for experienced players to be given kind of like a set of parameters randomly and be like, okay, what kind of character can I make with these building blocks? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I'm trying to think back. Like, I think in 2009, when we started our 4E campaign that started all of this Happy Jacksness, like, I'm trying to remember because it's so long ago. I think what Stu had us do, and it was my first experience with, like, with doing this, he told us up front we were going to get to, like, we'd roll and get to choose where it was, but he's like, just for shits and giggles, just, like, pretend like you're rolling for, like, that. So we, like, wrote down the numbers so we could plug them in wherever. But we rolled it like we were doing that with like James was telling in the chat, like you would have the one kind of mulligan where you could like, okay, I'm re-rolling this yeah. one. Yeah. So we did it. And I I don't remember who it was. I don't know if it was Stork or Tappy, but they like just like did it. And then they like, I think Storks was weird, but he kept it because <laughs> he was like, I'm going to do it old school way because yeah. Stork, and he's old. <laughs> and then someone else just got like, the most perfect like stats ever for their character that they'd already built and play nice. like to play. And it was just so funny. And the rest of us were like, nope, moving all those. But it was just kind of interesting to see like what it would be like if you were playing with those rules. And I was like, mm-hmm. mm, dislike for me. I was like, no, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. I was like, I don't want to be like the warlock or what was I? Yeah. No, I was the Raven Queen servants nice. yeah it was fucking cool i love that game okay i'm in a spell jammer game right now where i rolled incredibly good for every stat except for charisma <laughs> and so i decided that my character has really crippling social anxiety That's and it's, it's been so fun to play her because yeah. she's and she's also she's a um, auto gnome because mm-hmm. spell jammer so she's a robot with social anxiety oh, and oh, and we made her like there's there's a background where your character is like a deep spacer and like have like an encounter or whatever. And like, so the, the background character I have for her is that she was, I gave her no backstory mm-hmm. and I did it on purpose. Like she was found in a pile of rubble that was drifting through space and she was turned back on again with no memories of what happened beforehand. And so like, she has no backstory that I know as a character as I'm playing. She's just this little worker drone robot who has, has been like a nurse bot and something happened to her that gave her this anxiety. She has no idea why, but she's constantly terrified. And it's like that kind of thing would never have popped into my head if I hadn't rolled that way. Right. So that's mm-hmm. why it can be fun to do it that way. Yeah. yeah. That's one of the reasons I love the random character generation for, for Traveler and st- and random stuff in general, especially not going in because it, it gives you those things that you would never do, you, those choices you'd never make yourself. Yeah. Like, even though I love having like broken characters with like weird quirks and things like that, like, I might not have thought of social anxiety. And then it's like a thing that just feels so perfect. And it's just like, this is how this was meant to be. It's serendipity that the dice were like, this yeah. for this character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in our Traveler game, my character was kind of like a little bit of a stoic badass. Mm-hmm. But you? random, what? weirdly, <laughs> randomly, the dice said she also had like serious riz. So she could pull nice. like anyone. So I was like, oh, okay. So she just like is constantly flirting with everyone, which was a decision that I normally would not have made no. for that type so of character. Carlac from Baldur's Gate 3. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but it ended up being hilarious. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> and uh. so much fun. Yeah. So it, it's neat because it, it pushes you as a role player. Yeah. Like it's like you a little bit out of your comfort zone. Just move this way just a little. There you go. Love yeah. it. Yeah. Super good. I'm I'm a sucker for a mystery box. Yeah. I give me a mystery box. It's very fun. <laughs> I will always do it. 
I was just thinking, you know, it'd be really fun hmm. is if what if you had a way to create a campaign where you used a tarot deck and <laughs> you pulled randomly <laughs> from a tarot deck and you thought of things like character concepts or character relationships, you thought of world building okay. thing. What if you had like an R and D for your TTRPG? <laughs> okay, okay. I thought of it earlier when you were talking about randomizing, and you were like, "You're like, I really like Traveler because I like the randomizing game where you build the world." And I wish I could just play that. And I was sitting here like, "I'm gonna so sniper her with this later." And I was waiting. I was waiting till we were done with this thing because I'm like, oh, she's going to be so mad at me when I did this. I simply didn't say it. Like, but you like described exactly what you love about the game that you designed. And you're like, I wish there was something like that. I'm like, yeah, that would be fantastic. All right. All right. And we're done. Pardon? It does exist. I spent like a year drawing the art for it. You did. Yeah. And beautiful art. Slowly. And I'm so sorry. Now you did great. It took you two years less to do the art for it than it took me to write all the questions for it. Okay, so. fair. I don't feel so bad. No, don't feel bad. I'm proud because because I was a backer for it. I have the like the, gold, the like original the better yeah, material. The gold. Yeah, yeah, gold. yeah, yeah. Nice. So I had the golden lasso. Of the golden yeah. All right, we'll be done now. This isn't an ad. <laughs> no, that's Kimmy was 100 percent. A, a, a victim of my my trickery. Amazing here. marketing yeah. skills. I, it was just when you said a thing about Traveler, like, oh, I, I would love if there was a game just like that. I'm like, yeah, I bet you would. You should uh, make it. Oh wait. oh, wait. Oh, wait, you did. Now, I mean, now to, to, to differentiate, like Traveler gives you stats and like specifics and like it lays out career paths and stuff in a way that Decima does not. Decima is more like general world vibes and information where it's like, it's a career path. It's how old you are. Why did you yeah. fail out of the military? Oh. Like, mm-hmm. like how does your character feel about that person? Yeah. <laughs> like, so, so Traveler is like awesome. And and yes, world building stuff I love all all flavors of. Yeah. But Traveler is super cool because you're like, all right, I'm in the military now. I'm kicking it and I fail out. Okay. Hmm. <laughs> I wonder how did that happen? Like, and you get to like bring all that stuff in. And that's super fun. And again, like back to the weird, quirky things that pop up that challenging as a role player. Like, okay, I was planning I was going to be this amazing warrior and no no I was a failure and now everybody no one will hire me oh good okay uh and oh and I'm a criminal now excellent I love this bumblebee says that I that bumblebee says that I I add assassinated you I add assassinated, assassinated me yes you assassinated me okay all right. Sorry, I'll, I'll stop making you blush for tonight. I was so proud of it. I was like, I can't wait to slam this on her. Perfect. It's so good. So good. They did it to me. I during... knew you were trying so hard not to do it. That's why I'm like, yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> well, people sometimes are like, hey, like, I love it. But sometimes it feels like an ad. I'm like, yeah. it's not an ad. I it just... was not an ad. It was a troll. I, t- I was trolling my we friends. We talk about our stuff because yeah. we work on it all the time and we're obsessed with it. Okay. Anyway. Thank you for joining us for Season 33, Episode 2 of the Happy Jacks RPG Podcast. Please support our amazing Indie Designer of the Month, Kurt Potts. You can find his stuff at Kurt Potts, that's K-U-R-T-P-O-T-T-S dot itch dot I-O, and at lighthearted.games. Thank you to our chat mod, James V, and to our amazing Patreons who keep us ad-free and independent. You can join their amazing order at happyjacks.org slash Patreon. We've had cool stuff happening. Our... D20 Patreons have started a short campaign that I'm cool. GMing, and there's a couple more coming up, hopefully, with Angie and Jason, like one shots with them, and a couple of the things which is super fun. Um, we also have our new Nerding Out show that gets released to D8 su- supporters and above. 
And you also get access to the backlog, depending on, and like further and further into the backlog, depending on which level you back at. So yeah, there's fun things too. It's not just like, hey, I'm buying you beer because you're cool. You also get things back. My name is Kimmy. My name is Riley. And I'm Sam. And today we're leaving you with a song called Jenny of the Old Stone. It is the, a cover of the song from Game of Thrones. And it is by a band called The Mary Sues. So thank you so much. And we will see you next week. All right. Bye. High in the halls of the kings who are gone, Jenny would dance with her ghosts. The ones she had lost and the ones she had found and the ones who had loved her the most. The ones who'd been gone for so very long, she couldn't remember their names. They spun her around on the damp old stones, spun away from all sorrow and pain. And she never wanted to leave. is a product of the Happy Jacks RPG Network. The Mary Sue's performed our intro music, and our ending song was played with the express permission of the artist. Visit happyjacks.org for more information and to find all our streams and podcasts. 